Welcome to A History of the Inca. Episode 52, Stolen Sweat. Hello everyone and welcome once again to A History of the Inca. I am your host, Nick Mashinsky. Do you follow the show on Twitter? At Inca Podcast is where you can find the show and check out some non-podcast material. All October, we've been posting short animations of Moche portrait vessels. You remember Moche portrait vessels, right? Those incredible vessels depicting Moche rulers and sometimes captives? Want to see those vessels come to life? Well, go to the show's Twitter, at Inca Podcast, and check out those vessels for yourself. They can be a little creepy. Now then, in the last episode we covered the first several days and weeks of Atahualpa's imprisonment. The Spanish plundered what was left of the Inca camp across the valley, and Pizarro sent several men back to San Miguel, who sought a reprieve from all the action. Meanwhile, Atahualpa conversed regularly with Pizarro and some of the other Spaniards. The Sapa Inca was also allowed to conduct business while imprisoned. He saw Sinchis and Caracas, as well as several captains and messengers from other parts of the empire. Finally, though, we saw Atahualpa declare that he will procure enough gold to fill his cell as long as he is freed once this ransom has been paid. Pizarro, upon his word, promises to release the Inca if the gold is delivered. Let us see how this sweat of the sun is procured for the Spanish. But first, we must deal with a murder. Enjoy. A messenger arrived at Cajamarca with news that Huascar, brother and enemy of Atahualpa, had been killed. Immediately, Atahualpa denied having anything to do with it, claiming that his captains acted without his knowledge. And besides, he was too frightened to have Huascar offed out of fear of retribution from Pizarro. Right? Well... Not everyone agrees that Atahualpa was innocent of Huascar's demise. In an anonymous account by a member of Pizarro's expedition, it is said Atahualpa learned of Huascar making his own offer to the Spanish, potentially offering more gold and riches for his own freedom. Given this information, Atahualpa gave the order to kill Huascar to his brother-in-law, Kuzi Yupanqui. The faithful captain traveled south and met Huascar and his captors on the road, for the former ruler of Cusco was being brought to Cajamarca for the Spanish. Of course, Huascar would never make it to Cajamarca. He quickly learned what was going to happen to him and protested, but to no avail. We don't know how he died exactly, and never will. His body was thrown into a nearby river and was never seen again. Why have Waskar killed? Well, we sort of already answered that at the end of our last episode. 
Huascar was a threat. He was not only a threat because he had waged war against Atahualpa, but given his new position, Atahualpa was threatened by what Huascar could become. Pizarro was in a position to be kingmaker. Please excuse my European phrasing, but I think you get the idea. Huascar would do anything, anything, to improve his own position from prisoner to puppet Sapa Inca. And if Huascar was allowed to make it to Cajamarca alive and have an audience with Pizarro, Huascar could tell the conquistador how he went through the sacred rituals to be Sapa Inca, how the city of Cuzco had been under his command, and how the gold and silver that was there were his to give away. Though he was the son of Wanakapak, Huascar was likely not the first choice to succeed his father. Disease had taken Wanakapak sooner than anyone expected, and also claimed the life of the presumptive heir, Ninan Kuyochi. However, in his eyes, and in the eyes of many, he was in the right place at the time of his father's death, Cusco. He could go through the proper ceremonies to don the fringe, and did so. At the beginning of the Civil War, Huascar seemed to have the resources of all four corners at his disposal. But he began to isolate his supporters, favoring outsiders as his armies were continually defeated. In a final desperate attempt, he led what was left of his forces into battle only to fall into a trap and be captured. News of the Spanish arrival certainly gave him hope, but Atahualpa saw to it that that hope was snuffed out along with the life of Huascar. Of course, who knows if Pizarro would have picked Huascar over Atahualpa. But Huascar wasn't the one who marched into Cajamarca looking to subjugate the Spanish, was he? No, Atahualpa couldn't take the chance of having Huascar surviving, and now Pizarro could only deal with him. But we must leave Atahualpa and Pizarro there for now. We have to join Hernando Pizarro and his brothers Juan and Gonzalo as they travel to the coast to collect the gold at Pachacamac. With 20 horsemen and some arquebusmen, Hernando set out on January 5th, 1533. The party went from town to town, traveling the Capacnan. They traversed bridges, fording rivers, and traveled through snow-covered passes between mountains. Steep parts of the road were stairs, which made it quite dangerous for the horses to descend. Despite the dangers, Miguel Estete, who wrote about the journey to and from Pachacamac, couldn't help but comment on something that reminded him of his homeland, Spain. Halfway there was a great pass of snow, and all the way there were many flocks with their shepherds, who have their houses in the mountains, as in Spain. The Spanish were warmly greeted at every town they stopped in, except one, which was abandoned, Estete claims that the inhabitants fled in fear, but perhaps the years of war and disease had depopulated the town so much that the people simply left. 
What we do know is that while Hernando was traveling, he asked the whereabouts of Atahualpa's general, Chaco Chima. He never received definitive information on the great general's location, but he kept getting reports from locals that he was nearby with a sizable force. On February 5th, Hernando and his party finally reached Pachacamac and were welcomed by the priests. The conquistador made it clear that he was there to secure the gold to be transported to Cajamarca. The gold was quickly assembled, but it was determined to be very little, and it is suspected that much of it was hidden away. But Hernando wasn't about to turn away what was offered, and so whatever was gathered was packed up for the trip into the mountains. Before he left, we are told that Hernando wanted to see the waka of this famous shrine. Estete describes the waka as being made of wood and smelling bad from the sacrifices made to it. Hernando pronounced to those present that it was the devil who spoke through the waka and ordered it broken. Of course, we know that the waka of Pachacamac was not destroyed. In fact, the idol resides in the museum at Pachacamac to this day. Just a little example of how you can't believe everything you read in the sources. So with the gold packed up and the waka of Pachacamac not destroyed, Hernando was just about to set out for Cajamarca when he received news that Chacochima was just four days away with a large amount of gold and a large army. The conquistador made the trek towards the whereabouts of the Inca general and found a large number of people near a town, but couldn't tell if they were soldiers or simply people gathering for a festival or ceremony. Hernando's party approached the group, but found that Chacochima wasn't present. They didn't have to wait long as Chacochima arrived the next day in a litter. Hernando wasn't impressed, though, and asked the general why he hadn't responded to any of the messages that were sent to him, to which the general stated that Atahualpa told him to stay put. The conquistador insisted that Chalcochima must travel back with him to Cajamarca and that he would be treated well. But Chalcochima refused, again saying that he was ordered to stay in the area as the inhabitants had rebelled against Atahualpa and they might do so again. It was clear that the two of them were getting nowhere that day, and Hernando did not want to upset the Inca too much, given the difference in forces. Perhaps Chacochima got a great night's sleep that night, because the next day, he suddenly changed his mind. If Hernando wanted him to go to Cajamarca, who was he to refuse? About 30 loads of gold were with Chacochima, and another convoy of gold joined them along the way. The Spanish were wary of Chacochima, though, and kept their horses saddled the entire way. It was toward the end of March when they started their journey, and they arrived at Cajamarca on April 25th, 1533. Now we're going to shift again to another expedition, to Cusco. Three Christians were sent to Cusco on February 5th, escorted by a brother of Atahualpa. They were under strict orders from Pizarro not to injure the natives 
and just take in what they saw and report back. But the governor seemed to have deemed the three Christians not quite up to the task, and so Hernando de Soto and one other Spaniard were sent along as well. Now, Kiskis was still occupying the navel of the universe with 30,000 men and didn't care at all for the Christians. We are told that one of them wanted to kill Kiskis, which would have been suicide, given the numbers against them. Despite all his animosity, Kiskis gave the five Christians food and shelter in the Korakora. They were not permitted to see the entire city, but were taken to the Korikansha, where they began to strip the most sacred site in the Inca world of its gold. Using copper bars, the plates of gold that were hanging on the buildings were taken down. The Inca only watched, fearing punishment from Inti if they assisted in the desecration of the temple. Now, we know from episode 16, the plates hanging on the Coricancha weren't pure gold. Some had more gold than others, but much of it was alloyed, ranging from 7 to 8 carats a peso, according to Jerez. Despite this, though, over 700 plates of gold were taken off one building for 500 pesos. Another building, they were able to take off 200,000 pesos. After 15 days, the Christians set out on the Capacnan, with the gold reaching Cajamarca on the same day as Hernando Pizarro. But not long after the Christians had left, Kizkiz, seeing the greed of the visitors, ordered much of the gold and silver that remained to be hidden. For decades after this first encounter in Cusco, gold and silver would be unearthed in the foundations of various houses and buildings within the city. Some may still be concealed today. With the ransom room filling up, gold began to be melted down. It is estimated that between 50,000 and 60,000 pesos of gold and silver were melted down per day into bars. There were nine forges doing this work, all manned by native metal workers. What we would today consider priceless works of craftsmanship were reduced to their base form, never to be the works of art they once were. From Jerez. If I was to recount all the different varieties in the shapes of the pieces of gold, my story would never end. There was a stool of gold that weighed eight arobas. There were great fountains with their pipes, through which water flowed into a reservoir on the same fountains, where there were birds of different kinds and men drawing water from the fountain, all made of gold. That stool mentioned above was really a throne used by the Inca and fell into Pizarro's share of the gold. It was one of the few items that would avoid the furnaces, However, a large majority of pieces from the Garden of the Sun were not so fortunate. And so, arguably, the most beautiful pieces of artwork in the Inca world were melted down and put into the coffers of the conquistadors. 
And how did the distribution of gold take place? Well, per the agreement between the crown and Pizarro, the royal fifth was set aside. And the royal fifth is exactly what it sounds like. One-fifth of the gold and silver present was set aside and went to the crown. In this case, it amounted to 262,259 pesos of pure gold alone. With the royal fifth in hand, Hernando Pizarro was awarded the pleasure of ensuring that the crown's share arrived back in Spain safely. And so, on December 4, 1534, the first four ships of gold would arrive in Seville, Spain. Though most of the gold and silver were in bars, there were some works in their original form, an idol the size of a child, pots, vases, and an eagle, or perhaps a condor. And on those docks, watching those beautiful pieces being unloaded, was a young man who was instantly inspired to travel to Peru, Cieza de Leon. We jumped ahead a bit there, but let us return to Cajamarca in early 1533. With the crown's share taken care of, it was time to hand out everyone else's. Securing the governorship of the area, Pizarro commanded 252,000 ducats of gold, 60,000 of silver. The three cavalry captains split 129,000 ducats of gold, 36,000 of silver. The four captains of the infantry had to split the same amount amongst themselves. The horsemen received more individually than the foot soldiers because of rank. There was a debate whether the men who came with Almagro should receive any of the ransom. After all, they weren't present when Atahualpa was captured. However, the 240 or so soldiers who accompanied Almagro managed to secure themselves 259,200 ducats of gold to be split amongst themselves. Meanwhile, Amagro was given 43,200 ducats of gold, 12,000 of silver. In other words, Almagro, who was supposed to be an equal, and who also encouraged Pizarro to continue onwards multiple times, when things were really tough, received just 17% of his partner's share in gold. Now, there have been many estimates out there as to how much the ransom of Atahualpa truly was. Sir Clements Markham, who translated Jerez's original work, estimates that 3,500,000 pounds of sterling was what was paid in the ransom. Taking into account that Markham published his translation in 1872 and converting that to dollars, it is estimated that in today's money, the ransom of Atahualpa would be worth 498546607 dollars and 81 cents. Again, that number doesn't take into account the craftsmanship of some of the pieces that were melted down. 
certainly one could argue that the value is much, much higher. And if anyone has another source that has a completely different number, please let me know. Now, all this gold caused a massive increase of inflation amongst the Spaniards. Jerez doesn't say what goods cost before, but a horse was now selling for no less than 2,500 pesos, boots 40 pesos, a cloak was 100 to 120 pesos, but they didn't seem to care. From Jerez, if one man owed anything to another, he paid it in a lump of gold, without weighing the gold, and was quite indifferent whether it was worth double the amount of debt or not. So the ransom of Atahualpa has been paid. The gold and silver distributed. And Atahualpa remained a prisoner. But a rumor began to swirl around Cajamarca. There was a large force gathering nearby, and it aimed to free the Inca. Mm -hmm.